But we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and, and prior to this, last week, Solomon was exhorting us to diligence in the midst of disaster. Remember, he said these very appropriate words, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. And certainly, Solomon writing at that time of day had no inclination or uh, no, you know, picture of, uh, of such a thing as coronavirus. But he certainly knew that evil could come upon the earth at any time. And how should we act in the midst of that? Well, we should be diligent in the midst of, uh, of, of disaster. And if you missed out on that sermon, uh, it is up online on our website. And the, the live feed was recorded and put on our Facebook uh, as well. So you can check that, that out from last week. So he's, he's called us to live uh, with diligence in the midst of disaster and again called us to live out in the midst of disaster, live out a life of joy. Um, and the reason is because death is coming. Solomon has been looking primarily at the, the world horizontally, things that are under the sun and above the sun. He kind of divides them. And if we're just looking at under the sun view, death is coming. The days of darkness, he says, will be many meaning your life here on earth will be ending because you won't get a second chance to live this life. Enjoy life, this life, um, sorry, enjoyment of life is for this life and not for another life. Now, if that's his message and you wanted to preach this message to, the, to an audience, what audience would you choose to, to, to preach that message? You wanted to tell people, listen, you've got one shot at living this life and living it well. What group of people would you choose to speak to? Would you, would you choose the older generation who has lived most of their days? No, you would choose the younger ones. You choose the young people. And, and this is what uh, Solomon has chosen to do today. The passage is to, uh, today is to our youth. The message is to our youth. It is certainly applicable to all of us, no matter how old we are or what um, stage of life we're in. So don't tune out to this, but Solomon exhorts his audience to seek God early in life and to do it while we are young. I got my start in ministry as a children's pastor. I was a children's pastor for four years, and then I moved into the youth ministry, so I was a high school pastor for four years as well. And I can tell you that as we would meet, I would meet with the pastor of the church, the senior pastor, and we would talk about uh, the ministries that um, the youth ministry, the children's ministry were very high priorities for the church because they are the future generation. It is the young people that need to get this message. We wanted to exhort them to seek God early in life, much like Solomon does in this passage. And there was a great book, a great resource that I used with many of our young men as I would meet with young high schoolers um, on one-on-one -on -one discipleship. And I went through this book with, um, with many of them, and I still have a few of them on my shelf uh, even today. And this one's my copy. It's uh, J.C. Ryle's book, Thoughts, Thoughts for Young Men. Um, and in it, he, well, he has several outlines, but the main overall outline, he gives sort of five reasons that we should exhort young men to godly living. And, I, and I'll say, too, it's not just for young men. You could say um, these are five reasons to exhort young people to godly living, whether you're a man or a woman. And the first reason he gives is there's a painful fact that are, there are few young men or young people anywhere who seem to have any religion at all. That was his reason number one. There's, there are just few people who are religious, few young people. Now, he writes this in 1886. And back then, he was saying there are just not many young people who want anything to do with religion. Just two years ago, there was a survey that was released by the BBC and it was regarding uh, 
young people aged 16 to 29. They were, um, it was a survey conducted between the years 2014 and 2016, so six years ago. And the youth of 21 European countries, and Israel was included in there as well, uh, they were surveyed um, regarding their religious views. And the survey suggested that 70% of young Britons were irreligious. 70% had no religion. Now, the Britain was bef- behind four other countries out of 21 countries. You had the Netherlands, Sweden, Estonia, and Czech Republic was nether- number one with 91% of young people, 91% saying they're, they have no religion at all. But Britain, 70% said they have no religion. And the professor who did this survey, it's quoted saying this, over the next 10 to 20 years, we're near certain to see a rise in the proportion of people with no religion across the UK. This is just a simple outworking of the fact that those who identify as religious tend to be older and sad to say they're dying off. Of course, there are plenty of exceptions, but that's the overall big picture trend. So his main point here is that, gosh, six years ago, 70% of Britons, um, young people, uh, just claimed to have no religion at all. And that was only going to get worse because as you looked at the churches in Britain, they were largely composed of older people. The young people simply were not interested in religion. That's a sad state, but a sad truth. And this is why it's so important. Young people, I just want you to hear me today. This message is for you. This message is for you. It's so important for our young people to grasp onto the truth of of how important it is to to seek God early in life. The first reason J.C. Ryle gives is that there's just not many that are interested in religion typically. The second reason is that what you are when you're young, in all probability, is what you will be when you're older. There won't be a whole lot of change. If you are a, a believer when you're younger, there could be a good chance that you will be so when you're older. Um, but if you choose, if you choose just to have nothing to do with, with religion or Jesus at all when you're young, then you're really gambling. You're really just, uh, you know, just hoping there's an intervention by the Holy Spirit. I would pray that that would happen. But largely, what you are when you're young is what you're going to be when you're older. If you're drunk when you're young, it's likely you'll be so when you're older. If you're addicted to drugs, right, and you never have anyone intervening for you or helping you out of that, it's likely you'll, you'll have that lifelong. And so choose while you're young to follow him. The third thing he mentions is that the devil uses special diligence to destroy the souls of young men and young people. And that is true. The devil has been studying the hearts of men for centuries. And he certainly knows the hearts of young people. He knows what makes them tick. He knows the kind of temptations they will gravitate to. And so there's a spiritual element here. There's a spiritual battle going on for the hearts of our young people uh, today. There was a spiritual battle going on this morning. I was thinking, well, Satan does not want this message to go out today. We're having camera problems and technical problems. And I hope it's all even recording now. I don't even know. Um, But the devil does not want um, our young people to get this message. He certainly does not want young people to grasp, um, hold on to God and seek him early in life. The fourth reason he gives in here is that it's going to save them much sorrow if they just begin serving God now. I'm sure you could go to any older person in the church, um, anyone older than you in the, the, the church, and you could ask them, you know, if they could have a chance to go back and make some different decisions, would they do that? I, I think every one of us would say, oh yeah, I, there's a lot of things that I would do a lot differently um, if I were given the chance. 
Many of us would have experienced less heartache, less difficulty. We could have saved ourselves years of sorrow, going through painful addictions or or miseries that were self-inflicted had we chosen to serve God while we were young. And we just want that for you. We want want you to avoid uh, the, the, the pain. The fifth reason he gives here is that death and judgment are before them, but young people just don't even think about that. The last thing you think about when you're young is that you're going to die. I mean, when you're young, you think you're going to live forever, right? You're, my, my, my best years, my, my whole life is in front of, of me. And so we don't think, tend to think about eternity and certainly don't think about death or judgment. And um, I'm going to be reading some quotes through this book as I go along. Those are just his main outlines that he gives. But some of them will really be supportive of what Solomon is talking about in our passage today. And I just want to open with uh, this brief quote uh, right here, speaking about that idea of, of death and judgment sort of uh, being before you. He says, young men, it is appointed unto you once to die. And however strong and healthy you may be now, the day of your death is perhaps very near. I see young people sick as well as old. I bury youthful corpses as well as aged. I read the names of persons no older than yourselves in every churchyard. I learn from books that, excepting infancy and old age, more die between 13 and 23 than at any other season of life, and yet you live as if you were sure at present not to die at all. Are you thinking you will mind these things tomorrow? Remember the words of Solomon, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Serious things tomorrow said a heathen to one who warned him of coming danger, but his tomorrow never came. Tomorrow is the devil's day, but today is God's. Satan cares not how spiritual your intentions may be and how holy your resolutions, if only they are fixed for tomorrow. Listen, people, I just want you to hear me today. Don't put off tomorrow what you can do today. Satan wants you to put it off for tomorrow. That's his intention. That's his will for you. I will tell you, God's will is for you to respond today. So would you listen to me today? Would you hear what God's word has to say? We're going to read through his pa- the passage that we have before us. It's chapter 11 of Ecclesiastes, and we're reading through to chapter 12, verse 8. So let's look at chapter 11, verse 9, beginning there. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near, when you say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun and the light The moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look through the windows grow dim, when the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low, when one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of music are brought low. Also they are afraid of height and of terrors in the way, when the almond tree blossoms, The grasshopper is a burden and desire fails. For man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was 
and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Let's pray. God, we just pray for your word today, Lord, that it would go forth in power and in truth. It's your word, your divine, holy, inspired word. And I just pray for our young people today, and hopefully many are tuning in, Lord, that their hearts will be open to hear what you have for them. Lord, so, so many of us could preach this message to our youth. So many of us could just warn of the dangers that are before them and of the importance it is to seek you early in life. Oh, Lord, I pray that they would hear today. So speak, Lord, your word of truth today in power, we pray for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's jump into this. Right at the beginning, you can see in verse 9 that Solomon is encouraging the life of joy. And that joy is to be embraced and practiced by our young people. He says in verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon has encouraged his readers to enjoy life, right? He said you can enjoy it by, by eating and drinking. You can enjoy it by wearing nice clothes. You can enjoy it by using pleasant lotions and enjoying uh, your marriage and even finding satisfaction in your labor. But now he says to the young person, how can they enjoy that? He says, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Uh, Ways has the idea of impulses or the manner. He says, walk in the impulses of your heart. Now, many of us would be stumped at this, particularly the older people that are sitting in the room, How could it be possible that Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, be encouraging young people to listen to their heart? That's a message from Disney. That's not the message from God normally. Why would you want to follow the impulses of your heart? Don't we we see that the heart is the problem? Jeremiah 17, 9, right? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is the deceitful thing. It's the deceitful thing above all things. It's desperately wicked. The heart is the problem. And in the Old Testament, the um, the Israelites would sew these tassels with blue thread into their clothing so that when their eyes fell upon that tassel on their clothing, they would look upon it, they would remember the commandments of the Lord, and it says that they would not follow the harlotry to which your heart and your eyes are inclined. Did you get that? When they would look upon that little tassel hanging on their clothing, it was to remind them that their heart is just inclined to harlotry. Their eyes are just inclined that way to pursue things other than God. Isn't it amazing that that was sewn into their clothes? And notice that it's not just the heart, but he says the eyes as well, because the eyes are the window of the heart, aren't they? They're the window of the heart. Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 17 uses it this way. He says, yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but your covetousness, for shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression and violence. It's the eyes and the heart. Those are the problems. And Solomon is telling young people to uh, walk in the ways of their heart and in the sight of their eyes or the desire of their eyes or, or whatever your eye sees. How is that good advice for a young person? Many parents are running to the computer right now and shutting this off, right? They're saying, no way, no way is my my child going to hear this? Because so much of our Bibles commands the opposite, doesn't it? I mean, we can just think of of many verses, but I have just a few for you. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 16. 
right? They tell us, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It tells us not to love anything in, in the world at all. I mean, if we're following the um, impulses of our heart, if we're looking at whatever our eyes see and we, and we go for those things as Solomon is telling us to do, aren't we loving the world? I mean, it's the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, isn't it? What about 1 Peter 2, 11? Peter tells this, this, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. So should we really be encouraging young people to go after whatever their eyes and their hearts uh, desire? Is that what we should be doing? Well, there's a caveat here, and it's in the end of verse 9. But know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. Yes, walk in the ways of your heart, right? And in the sight of your eyes, but know, but know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. The command to enjoy the things of this world um, that we desire, the things that we imagine in our hearts, the things that we see with our eyes, it's given a boundary, isn't it? It's given a boundary. It's to be controlled by something. It's to be controlled by the knowledge that God will judge you for your actions. Know, know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. When he says to know this, he doesn't mean just grasp it intellectually. There are a lot of smart sinners out there, Christians who know it. They, they know it up here. They just don't know how to live it. And so when Solomon says, know it, to know that that's coming, we can know, we can believe so many things about God that do not seem to change our behavior. They don't change the way that we, we live. Proverbs 15.3 is a good verse to help us keep this in perspective. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord are every place. How does that verse, how does that verse affect your behavior? When you think about the fact that the living, sovereign God is everywhere, that he sees you at all times and in all places, does that do anything to you? Well, J.C. Ryle has some thoughts on that, thoughts for young people. I just wanted to share these really briefly. He says this, the eye of God. Think of that. Everywhere, in every house, in every field, in every room, in every company, alone or in a crowd, the eye of God is always upon you. And they are the eyes that read hearts as well as actions. Endeavor, I beseech you all to realize this fact. Recollect that you have to do with an all-seeing God, a God who never slumbers or sleeps, a God who understands your thoughts afar off and with whom the night shines as a day. You may leave your father's roof and go away like the prodigal into a far country and think that there's nobody to watch your conduct. But the eye and the ear of God are there before you. You may deceive your parents or employers. You may tell them falsehoods and be one thing before their faces and another behind their backs. But you cannot deceive God. He knows you through and through. He heard what you said as you tuned in today. 
He knows what you are thinking of at this very moment. He has set your most secret sins in the light of his countenance, and they will one day come out before the world to your shame, except you take heed. I'm even J.C. Ryle, back in 1886, was thinking about the eye of God as something that should help us conduct our behavior. If you think about God as one who sees everything, hears everything, even your thoughts, do you think that help correct or shape your life? Does that take us beyond just knowing? To know God's judgment, it has an element of acknowledgement. And that acknowledgement should align our will with God's will. It's not just knowing, it's acknowledging it. Yeah, I know that's true, and I acknowledge that that is true. I'm going to live as if that's true, and that will align my will with his will. And young people, I know what you're thinking today. Well, what is God's will, right? How many times I've heard that as a youth pastor, right? Well, what's God's will? What's God's will? You want a verse, one verse to, to just give you God's will? There is one. There's a great verse. I always took people to this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, because it just tells us plainly, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's right. This is the will of God, your sanctification. What does God want for you? He wants you to be sanctified. What's that mean? Well, he wants you to become more like his son. He wants you to become less of yourself and more like Christ. We need to see less of who we are and were and more like Jesus. That is sanctification. It's losing ourselves. But that's a good thing. That's his will. Because we recognize that in ourselves, we have so much sinfulness, so much of the world. And so he wants us to free, be free from those things and say, listen, the best path is to be like my son. I want to see sanctification. That's my will for you. And in that passage, he goes on to talk about abstaining from sexual immorality, right? Because that's not his will for you. His will is that you be sanctified. That's what the world does. You'll look like the world if you go down that path, but you'll be like Christ if you go down the other. That's the idea there. So how do we do that? How do we align ourselves, our will with God's will. I want to take you to a great passage today. It's in James chapter 1, near the end of your Bibles. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. You'll be very familiar with this if you're familiar with your Bibles. Verses 21 to 25. James chapter 1, 21 to 25. Says this, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. How do we go beyond just that intellectual knowing? But know, right? But know that God's judgment, he's going to judge you for that. How do you go beyond that? You got to be a doer of the word, not a hearer. It's those who hear it, who, who know. Yeah, I know those things. I've heard it all. Like many young people who have been raised in Christians, Christian homes have heard it all. They, they, they know it all. But have they acknowledged it? Do they align their will with the will of God? Are they hearers of the word or are they doers of the word? You see the difference. And James tells us, well, you need to be 
a doer of the word. And the one who is a doer of the word, well, he's going to be blessed in what he does. But if you're a hearer, you're like a man who just went and looked at himself in a mirror and then walked away and you don't even remember what you looked like. Because it just hasn't taken any, it hasn't sunk in at all. It's, it's had no effect on your life at all. You don't even remember it. It's, it's like the one who goes through the motions of just read. oh, I'm supposed to read the Bible. Oh, I'm supposed to go to church. Oh, we're supposed to pray. Oh, we're supposed to take communion. And we just do those things. But the, the minute you leave church, you leave those things, you, you've forgotten all about it. You, you've forgotten what your face looks like in a mirror. That's the person who just knows it on an intellectual level. But Solomon says, know that for all these, God will bring it into judgment. That you must actually believe it. What what does he mean that he'll bring it into judgment? Well, sin leads to judgment. That's simply what it means. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 27 tell us, for if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer, no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. We sin willfully after we receive the truth. It's those who know the truth, who know it intellectually. They receive the truth, but it hasn't done anything to their lives. They just continue to go on living their lives of sin, just unaware, oblivious as to where that's going to lead. But Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us where that's going to lead. There's an expectation of judgment that's going to come. And that's what Solomon says. You need to live as if you really believe that. Do you really know that, that, that your actions and what you choose, how you choose to walk, you're going to be judged by your choice. So, so what, what do we do there? Well, we've got to walk then in the ways of our heart. Solomon says, walk in the ways of your heart and in the, the sight of your eyes, but do that in a way where you've committed those ways to the Lord. Commit them to the Lord. Psalm 37.5 is a great passage for that. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Right? You can walk in the ways of your heart, but commit those ways to the Lord. You can walk in the, the sight of your eyes, but commit that, those things to the Lord. If you commit those things to the Lord, if you trust him, then he will bring all things to pass. Sounds a lot like what James said, right? If you're a doer of the word and not a hearer only, you'll be blessed in what you do, right? He'll bring all the things that you want to pass. So what do you need to do, young people, in order to be free to enjoy life? Um, How do we put the right boundaries in our lives? I talked about those things being boundaries. Just two things here. Look at verse 10. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart. That's the first thing. Remove sorrow from your heart. The word sorrow, we've looked at a few times in uh, scripture. It's the word ka'as, ka'as, and it means vexation, which is an older word, but grief, that's a word you're probably more familiar with, or frustration. Um, In Ecclesiastes, Solomon has used this word to refer to confusion or perplexity, grief, um, irritation even, that's caused by just life experiences. The vanities of this world, the meaninglessness, meaninglessness of this world can cause us to grief. It can cause us sorrow. And that kind of sorrow hinders a joyful life of faith. Um, that's why Paul reminds us to be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving to present your request to God. It's a, it's a memory verse. It's one of those ones that we, we know, but do we acknowledge it? 
Do we practice it? Are we truly anxious for nothing? Many a young person um, has become overly anxious about the things of life. Many young people are drawn these days to things like self-harm. They're drawn to things like uh, pornography, or they're, they're, they're drawn to things like uh, drugs, some sort of addictive behavior of some kind. And all of those things are an effort to deal with the grief, frustrations, the, the sorrow in their heart. Solomon says, remove sorrow from your heart. It's not just a matter of removing that, but something else needs to fill the void. And what young people try to do by all those other means is to fill the void. They're filling some emptiness in their heart. They think by harming themselves, that's going to get them through the next stage of life. They think that by making um, immoral choices with their their boyfriend or, or girlfriend, they're going to find acceptance or love. They think by uh, addictions to alcohol or, or drugs might just help them cope with life. But all of these things are empty and all these things are dead ends. And what Solomon is saying is so timely. He says, remove it from your heart. The vexations, the grief, the frustrations, those things there have to be removed. Anger is a, a big one. Anger is a big one for our young people today. Angry over their lot in life. Angry over um, the experiences they've had. Angry over their past or their upbringing or whatever. And they carry that through their whole life. You could probably talk to some of our older people and find out. What, what, what did you carry that you didn't need to? Was it anger? Were there addictions? What kinds of things did you have to drag along through life? And Solomon says you need to remove it. If you want to live a life of joy by faith, you can't have that kind of sorrow in your heart. You've got to stop trying to fill it with all these other things. You know, James tells us to count it all joy when we're in trials, doesn't he? That just seems like an impossible thing to do, but you, you can do it. Many Christians don't because they're, they're, they're angered or irritated by the experiences of life. They're robbed of their, uh, their joy. But instead, he says, through the trials, you can count it joy. But I'm going to tell you today, you can only do that if you have a relationship with Christ. You, you just can't do it any other way. You can't do it by strength. You can't do it by willpower. And Solomon is exhorting young people to learn that lesson, to, to learn it while they're, they're young. Remove sorrow from your heart. It's a heart issue. Notice he doesn't say remove the, uh, the bad parents, remove the, um, the, the, the bad influences in the neighborhood where you live, change schools, get different jobs. He doesn't say any of those things. He says remove it from your heart. The heart is the problem. The heart is well, where it dwells, and that has to be taken care of. And listen, do you know that you don't have any access whatsoever to change a heart? You have no ability to change a heart, right? You can't change a heart. Only Jesus can change a heart. If you could change someone's heart, Jesus would never have needed to die. He died so that the heart could be changed. Solomon is pointing ahead to something I think pretty amazing here, and we'll see it in a minute. But the second thing he tells us to do in verse 10 is to put away evil from your flesh. Put away evil from your flesh. Now, he's talking to young people, and certainly uh, young people could be maybe more susceptible to fleshly things. Paul writes to a young pastor, young Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2.22. He says, flee youthful lusts, right? He says, flee those youthful lusts, but pursue. Notice he doesn't just say, leave that and then just go nowhere, but pursue instead righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So it's twofold. 
it's not just flee those negative things, but pursue positive things, right? You don't flee one thing and run into a void. You flee youthful lusts and you pursue righteousness and love and faith and peace and all those, all those other things. And it's so interesting. There's a passage of scripture that talks about, well, what does that look like as a believer? If you're a young person of the faith and you're seeking to follow him as a young person, why is it so important to put away evil from your flesh? Romans 6, uh, chapter 6, verses 12 to 13. Very important. Look at what it speaks of. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. When I first read and understood this verse, this one blew my mind as a young person, that, that, that God is talking about this, this body, that this body and all of its members can be an instrument of righteousness if it's in his hands, right? He can use it to further his kingdom, to build up his kingdom. But do you notice that if it's not being used for that, it doesn't just sit stagnant? It doesn't just go into a void? It's either being used for that or it's an instrument of unrighteousness. Did you see that? It's either or. If you're not presenting your body to be used by God and for his glory, whether you believe it or not, you're actually an instrument of unrighteousness. You're in the enemy's hands. Those, those, these things are being used as an enemy of God, not for his kingdom, against his kingdom. But he says, no, you've been brought back from the dead. You're alive. And so use your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I want to use it. God wants to use you, young people. And do you realize if you give your lives to, to him when you're young, how much more he can do for his kingdom? He's got a whole instrument and a whole bunch of years in which he can use that for his glory. But if you don't, if you allow a sin to reign in your body, you think it's no big deal, guess what? It is a big deal because now you're an enemy of God. Your, your members are actually an instrument of unrighteousness. Remember that verse we looked up earlier, 1 Peter 2.11? I bring it up again. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. That's pretty sobering. He says, listen, you're sojourners, you're pilgrims. You don't even belong here. You're passing through. Your citizenship is in heaven. And so you should abstain from the worldly fleshly lusts because what they do is they war against your soul. They have eternal consequences. And so you need to make sure that those, those things, you're, you're keeping clean of sin. Paul had to work at that. I have to work at that. I'm sure my wife has to work at that. I'm sure many watching this have to work at that. Paul said, I have to discipline my body and bring it into subjection. That takes work. That takes effort. It takes, I'm going to be in God's word. I just don't want to sin. You got to have to, you got to want it. You got to want it. It does take effort. And we've got to be very, very careful about sin in our lives. Young people, he says, if you want to pursue the desires of your heart, and the sight of your eyes, hey, you can do that, but God's going to judge. He's going to judge your actions. So make sure two things. Make sure you, you don't have sorrow in your heart, right? You're not allowing the, the world to weigh it down. You've put something more valuable there, and you're not weighing yourself down with sin, but you're being an instrument of righteousness and a tool in God's hand. Another quote I wanted to read you from J.C. Ryle here regarding uh, this. 
in terms of our sinfulness and our passions. He said, youth is the time when our passions are strongest and like unruly children cry most loudly for indulgence. Youth is the time when we have generally most health and strength. Death seems far away and to enjoy ourselves in this life seems everything. Youth is the time when most people have few earthly cares or anxieties to take up their attention. And all these things help to make young men think of nothing so much as pleasure. Speaking about just the pleasure. And Solomon is speaking about something different here. When he says to pursue your heart and the things that your eyes see, he's not just talking about pleasure. He's talking about a joyful life of faith because who has been brought into the picture? God has been. We're not just under the sun. We're above the sun simultaneously. God is in the picture. You can do those things, but just know God's going to judge them. So let's put some boundaries around there, okay? Let's put some boundaries. Pursue those things, but with the knowledge that God is going to do something about the choices that you make. He's going to bring those things into judgment. I've heard it said that pleasure must have warrant and measure. The warrant is, is pleasure must be without sin. And the measure is it must be without excess, right? Too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. Too much excess, right? So Solomon has done two things. He's looked at both the heart, the inner aspect of the man, and the flesh, the outer aspect of the man, hasn't he? So I want to just curb this all with with a different perspective for a moment, okay? I think a lot of times Christianity for for a young person is a list of things that um, that you just you don't do or you can't do. And maybe that's what you're hearing today. I'm not saying that, but maybe that's what's going in. Oh, it's, just, it's more about what I can't do, what I can't do, rather than what we get to do. It's an emphasis heavily upon what we can't be rather than who we are now in Christ. It's an emphasis on what we can't have rather than on what we actually get through Christ. There is an amazing Christian movie available to you right now called Overcomer. I'm not a big fan of a lot of the faith movies because a lot of times they're very fluffy and they have some sort of extravagant, you know, miracle that we don't even see today, right? That is the centerpiece. But I will tell you the Kendrick Brothers movies, the four movies, the five movies they've made, I guess six in all, but their movies, the miracle that is focused on every single one of them is the miracle of regeneration, a person's salvation and how that life is changed because of how Christ has impacted his life. And I will tell you, you watch any of those movies, you will be blessed fireproof, um, um, courageous, war room was the third one. And the new one out here is called Overcomer. And Overcomer, it's available on uh, Netflix. We just rented it and watched it last week. As a young girl, she has uh, no parents. She's been told her dad is dead. She lives with her grandmother. She feels worthless. She's given into stealing. But she is led to Christ by a young woman. And the woman tells her, listen, I want you to go read Ephesians chapter one and two. And I want you to make a list of everything that you are in Christ. Just go read those two chapters and, and, and um, go write everything down that you are. Because she knew that that girl thought she had nothing. She thought she had no value. She thought she had no purpose. So she said, listen, I want you to, now that you have a new life in Christ, go read what you are now. And so she goes and it shows her reading chapter one and two of Ephesians. And she's just writing, okay, you know, ble- oh, bless, I'm blessed. Oh, you were chosen before the foundation. Oh, I'm chosen. Oh, you were adopted. Oh, I'm adopted. I am, I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. I am loved. And she makes this wonderful list of what she is. So it's not what we can't do or what we aren't or what we can't be. It's what we are 
in Christ. That's the focus that I want to encourage you today. That's the surest way to sanctification. You want to become more like Christ? Think of who you are in Christ. Think of what you have through him. Solomon's overall advice is to start early. Start early on this pathway of joyful living because um, uh, your youth is vanity. And that's what he says here in verse 10 at the end. The childhood, childhood and youth are vanity. Childhood and youth are vanity. Childhood means youth, but youth, the word youth there is shakaruth, and it's only used here in the Old Testament. It means blackness of hair. Maybe you have a, a note in the margin that says prime of life. Well, that's the idea, right? Your hair is still black. It's still thick and dark. Um, it's the prime of life. Childhood and the prime of life, they're, they're vanity, meaning they're just fleeting. You're not going to be young forever. Old age is going to come. You think it's going to get easier later? Let me tell you, it won't. Now is the easiest and the best time to follow the Lord. And that's why he reminds us about your creator. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near, when you say, I have no pleasure in them. So he says, remember your creator. Now, remember means more than just remember, like you, you forgot. It means to live your life for him. Remember him every day. Live your life for him every day. He created you. And what does the New Testament reveal about cre- the creator? Well, it reveals that Jesus created the worlds, right? I mean, Jesus ultimately created us, redeemed us. This is what we have to look at in terms of the New Testament, Testament believer. We've got to remember him in the days of our youth before the difficult days come. One more message here from J.C. Ryle. I wanted to read because it's this perspective of who we are in Christ. Of ourselves, we are poor. We're empty creatures, empty of righteousness and peace, empty of strength and comfort, empty of courage and patience, empty of power to stand or go on or make progress in this evil world. It is in Christ alone that all these things are to be found. Grace, peace, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. It is just in proportion as we live upon him that we are strong Christians. It's only when self is nothing and Christ is all our confidence. It's then only that we shall do great exploits. Then only are we armed for the battle of life and shall overcome. Then only are we prepared for the journey of life and shall get forward, to live on Christ, to draw all from Christ, to do all in the strength of Christ, to be ever looking unto Christ. This is the true secret of spiritual prosperity. I think that's what Solomon is trying to get at here. Remember, remember your creator. Remember going onward here, you're nothing without him. You want to continue on in life. You want to have joy in life. You must remember your creator. And why? Because the difficult days are coming, he says. The years are coming when you will no longer delight in them. You delight in your birthdays now, right? Each birthday is a celebration, right? Well, when you get older, it's more like a wake. You know, you're not really celebrating as much anymore. Like, oh boy, I'm another year older. I can't believe it. Live for your creator while you can do it well and do it with full joy. And Solomon's point here is because old age and death, they're coming. And verses 2 through 6 are a commentary on verse 1. 
The days of a old age are coming. Death is coming. These verses speak of growing old, but they use various figures and they use images to you know, kind of portray the declining body and declining, uh, diminishing joy as you get older. And so let's look at these verses. We'll kind of go through them rather, rather quickly, but they're very interesting. Verse 2 says, <clears throat> While the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain. So that verse, again, is tied to the days of your youth. When you're young, in those youthful days, it's sun, it's light, moon, stars. Everything's, you know, beautiful and vibrant and full of luster and brilliance. Those, those are the days before they're darkened by old age, before the clouds block out the light and they return after the rain, right? Typically, typically, the older you get, kind of get you kind of get a little bit more sort of pessimistic a little more negative about life you've been around a long time like those things are i have seen the sun a million times look at rainbow yeah i've seen a rainbow a million times it's that kind of a thing the days when you're young it's like it's all beautiful and it's all new okay so it's tied to that idea the youth is to remember his creator live for his creator in this life now remember we ended last week in verse eight that the days of darkness are are coming that's the idea so live for him now so here's where we get to the decaying body. This is all very interesting. Look at the kind of different word pictures and images he uses to talk about the body. See if you can guess them before I say them. Verse three, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble. Now think about a human body. What's the house? That's the obvious part. That's the body, okay? What are the keepers of the house for your body? Those are your, your hands and arms, aren't they? These, the, these things keep your house. You brush your teeth, you comb your hair, you put on your makeup, you wash yourself, you cut your toenails, right? The, these are the keepers of the house. And you need to live for him, live for him with full vibrancy while you can, while you have energy before the keepers of the house, what? Before they start to tremble, right? They're gonna get to an age where you just can't do as much. You don't have the steady hand. Your arms and your, your hands are weakening. So, Put the little note there. That one speaks about your hands and arms. How about the strong men? And the strong men bow down. What are your strong men? Any guesses? Looking at my crew. Yep, their legs, right? Your legs are the strongest muscles in your body. They are the pillars of your house. They hold up your body. But one day, those, those guys are going to start giving out, right? They're going to start bowing down. All right, so, what, so many older people are having to use the aid of wheelchairs or walkers or canes, right? Because their old uh, strong men have bowed down. How about when the grinders cease because they are few? <laughs> well, that's my favorite one. Any guesses? Yep, your teeth. They're your grinders, right? And you can't grind as much. Why? Because they're few. <laughs> You've lost a few, right? They're getting less and less. Isn't Solomon very creative here? And look at the rest of verse three. And those that look through the windows grow dim. That one should be an obvious one. That's your eyes, aren't they, right? Those that look through the windows grow dim. Obviously, my eyes are, are getting there because I'm having to use some extra windows on my face. How about verse four? Continues to talk about the decline of the body. When the doors are shut in the streets, what are the doors? Well, your lips, right? And when they're shut in the streets, it's because they don't have much to say or possibly can't say much more anymore. And the sound of grinding is low. It's low because typically just can't eat that much anymore, right? Not much grinding going on and probably as well, you don't have many grinders. 
And when one rises up at the sound of a bird, ask any older person, they'll tell you light sleep is a problem. It's difficult for them to sleep through the night. A sound of a bird could awaken them. Now, if they're hard of hearing, it won't be the bird. It's just the fact that they don't sleep through the night. And all the daughters of music are brought low. This speaks of their hearing becoming impaired, right? They can't hear the music like they used to. Look at verse 5. Also, they are afraid of height and of terrors in the way. You are not as adventurous when you're older as you were when you're younger. Now you're afraid of heights. You're not going to venture into the terrors of the way. You lack vigor. You kind of fear venturing out and doing those things. Not like when you were younger. You didn't fear those things. But when you're older, you, you, you do fear those things. How about this? When the almond tree blossoms. What, what, what's an almond tree? When it blossoms, what's it look like? It looks white, right? And it's white. Well, it speaks of your whitening hair, right? The hair. I'm starting to get some almond tree blossoms uh, coming into my, my hair. That's just part of getting older, right? How about this? The grasshopper is a burden. Well, you're not going to be as strong as you were when you were young. Even a grasshopper is going to be too much to lift. Now, some translations say when the grasshopper drags himself along. The idea is a grasshopper is pretty fast. It like hops all over the place. But it gets to a point where it starts to limp along. That also speaks of getting old when your body's bent over and you're walking more slowly. Either way works. And then he says, and desire fails. Uh, this word's a very interesting word. It's the only word used in the Old uh, Testament. It's uh, uh, a but it's, it's a capper berry that would stimulate appetite. And it could stimulate, um, uh, you know, uh, appetite like for food, but also sexual desire. And so the idea is, is here is that that desire fails. You don't have the same desires that you did as uh, you were young. Those desires just typically start to, to, to fail. You don't need the adventure. You don't need as much food. You don't need all those things. They start to just fail you. And then he says, all that, that's the decline of the body. And where does it go? For man goes to his eternal home. So do you see all, that all there? That's just a very interesting imagery of the body being a house growing older with, you know, windows and doors and all that. And then you get to the mourners go about the streets. So the body dies. You return to your eternal home. He's going to talk about that more in depth in a second. So hang on. And the mourners go about the streets. So can you see how much more fulfilling of a life of serving your creator would be if you could choose to do it when you're young? Look at all the things that no longer are working for you, right? You don't have the same strength. You don't have the same energy. You don't have the same vitality. Your senses are not as keen as they were. What a, what a wasted many of years. But if you were to choose to follow him when you're young, what an opportunity you um, could could be uh, or could have and what what a weapon what an instrument you could be in his hands one more quick reading from uh, J.C. Ryle he says there are uh, difficulties but many a young man has overcome them hitherto and so may you so the point is uh, yeah difficult days are coming but it doesn't mean there aren't any difficult days for young people oh no there are difficult days and a young man can overcome them. Moses was a young man of like passions with yourselves, but see what is said of him in Scripture. Read the Scriptures about him. Daniel was a young man when he began to serve God in Babylon. He was surrounded by temptations of every kind. He had few with him and many against him. Yet Daniel's life was so blameless and consistent that even his enemies could find no fault in him except concerning the law of his God. 
And these are not solitary cases. There's a cloud of witnesses whom I could name. Time would fail me if I were to tell you of young Isaac, young Joseph, young Joshua, young Samuel, young David, young Solomon, young Abijah, young Obadiah, young Josiah, young Timothy. These were not angels, but men with hearts naturally like your own. They too had obstacles to contend with, lusts to mortify, trials to endure, hard places to fill like any of yourselves. But young as they were, they all found it possible to serve God. Young person, that's the emphasis here that Solomon has for us. It's, it's, it's all possible and even more so as a young person. It only gets more difficult as you get older. So serve him well while you're young. Let's move on to verse six. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the well. What is pictured here? Well, life is pictured here. Life in general, life overall, because it's precious. And it's pictured in two ways by both light and water. And you would look at this and go, well, there's no water or light mentioned here. You're right. The word light and the word water isn't here, but that's what is in picture here. Now, Psalm 36, 9 gives us this idea. It says, for with you, for with God, is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Right? So God is a fountain of life. He is light. Jesus used the same imagery uh, to refer to life when he called himself uh, the living water, right? When he called himself the light of the world, he was talking about that he was life. So where are light and where are water? Well, light is in the golden bowl. Literally, the word means lamp. He's in the golden lamp. What's in a lamp? That's light. It could be oil, but that's not the point here. Oil, isn't it? It's light. And that is sitting in the lamp. Where's water? Well, it's in a pitcher or it's in the well, right? You find those two things where those places are. So what about the light? What's it saying? Well, the silver cord, it's attached to the golden uh, lamp. It's loosed or it becomes unbound. The golden lamp falls and the light is extinguished. Suddenly, no light. Or about water, right? It's unavailable because the pitcher, it's broken. And the wheel at the well, it's broken. So there's no way to even get the water. It's unavailable. Do you see the picture here? As the body grows older and older and older, it says, you need to remember your creator before life is unavailable. Because once it's gone, it's gone. Here's the point. You don't have a choice to choose your creator after life is gone. You must choose him before the golden lamp is extinguished. Before you can't find water anymore. When it's gone, it's gone. And verse 7 takes us there. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was. And the spirit will return to God who gave it. When life ends, two things happen, he says. Um, our bodies return to their source, the earth. Our spirits return to their source, God. Both return to their source. There's two verses that he's referencing here, and I'll just show you really briefly. Genesis 2-7 and Genesis 3-19. But Genesis 2-7 says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So you can see our bodies came from the dust and our spirits came from his breath right? So bodies from the earth, breath from the Lord, from God. And then in Genesis 3, 19, it says, in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken for dust. You are and to dust, you shall return. So our bodies will return to 
dust. And then it ends very gloomily in verse 8. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. This ends a pretty, with a pretty gloomy picture here. And as we end, I want to make two things clear that maybe didn't come out in, in this passage. Old age can be a blessed time. Solomon is not painting this terrible picture like, oh, you're just looking for misery when he gets older. No, he's just saying it's a way easier to serve the Lord when you're young and you have, you have you know, all your senses and you have all your physical abilities available to you. How much you can do for the kingdom, right? But it doesn't mean uh, getting old or in your old age, that's just going to be a drag. No, it could be a blessed time. Proverbs 16, 31, Solomon says, The silver-haired head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. No, that's, it's meant to be a beautiful thing. But you will not have the ability to enjoy those later years as a blessing if you don't remember your creator. You, you won't be able to do that. Apart from enjoying one's life in the fear of God, life is vanity. It is meaningless. That's what his point is there. Right now, right now as it stands, you have two things from God. You have your bodies and you have your spirits. And when you die, they both go back to the source. Your body goes back to the earth. Your spirits go back to God. And I just want to read you closing quote here from J.C. Ryle. It's just perfect here for what we're talking about. We're talking about your eternal soul. You don't need to worry about so much the body because it goes back to the dust, but your spirit, that's going to God. What are you going to do after this life is spent when there's no more opportunity given to you and your spirit is in God's hand? What's he going to do with that? J.C. Ryle says this, Your soul is eternal. It will live forever. The world and all that it contains shall pass away, firm, solid, beautiful, well-ordered as it is, maybe not today, (laughs) the world shall come to an end. The earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up, Peter says. The works of statesmen, writers, painters, architects, they're all short-lived. Your soul will outlive them all. The angel's voice shall proclaim one day that time shall be no longer, but you shall never, that shall never be said of your souls. Think for a moment what you were sent into the world for, not merely to eat and drink and indulge the desires of the flesh, not merely to dress out your body and follow its lusts whithersoever they may lead you, not merely to work and sleep and laugh and talk and enjoy yourselves and think of nothing but time. No, you were meant for something higher. And better than this, you were placed here to train for eternity. Train for eternity. Think about that phrase. Your body was only intended to be a house for your immortal spirit. It's flying in the face of God's purposes to do as many do, to make the soul a servant of the body and not the body a servant to the soul. Such great words to close there. That is Solomon's perspective here as well. God's going to bring every work of yours into judgment. Why? Because your soul has gone to him. The body, that just goes to the earth. But your soul, in the hands of God. Looking at our position. Looking at what we've done on the earth, whether for him or against him. He's going to bring all those things into judgment. Next week, we'll take a closer look at that as we wrap up this wonderful study. But I do want to encourage you and really exhort you, young people, if you were listening today, wherever you are, um, you have a great opportunity before you. For many of us, right, many of us would tell you we wish we would have made the decision to follow Christ earnestly earlier on. We really would. We would have saved ourselves a lot of heartache. We could have done so much more for the kingdom, but we don't live in regret. We move forward um, with what God is doing in our lives. 
But you, you, young people, you have it all before you. And Solomon is just saying, rejoice in your creator. Live for him now. You have everything going for you, young people. And I want to encourage you to make that decision for him. We love you. We love our young people. We really think you're a a blessing to the church. And you have so much to offer. I want to just encourage you in your faith. If you are a believer, you're following him today. We praise the Lord for you. Thank you so much for all you do for him, how you serve the church. Many ways, you're the hands and feet of Jesus here because you're able to do that. And we're just thankful for you all. Thanks for tuning in today. Let me close in prayer. God, I just thank you for this time and your word. I thank you for your church. And Lord, why I can't see them all now, I, I pray they were able to tune in and be encouraged by your word. Thank you for this passage, the amazing timely message that it is coming from Solomon to just exhort our young people to follow you, to live for you while they are young. Lord, we're just excited about those that are following you and how much you can do through them and with them in this life. Lord, I pray for those that are just really haven't made that decision to really give all to you, who are really holding back, who are really holding on to this world. Lord, just remind them of what Solomon is saying. Hey, they can pursue so much joy in this life. They can, they can pursue so many things to enjoy and find um, um, joy out of and purpose, Lord, but they just need to do it. They just need to do it under the right boundaries, without sin, just walking with you, Lord. There's so much more joy. How many of us would say those things promised joy, but never gave it? True joy was found when we submitted our lives to you. Lord, I pray that young people would hear that message today. Thank you for this time and your word. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.